This is a Town Roots Podcast, episode number 27. Welcome to the Town Roots Podcast, the podcast of, about, and for Oakland. No matter if you live in the town, do business here, or are visiting, we have something for you. And now, your hosts, Anthony Wilson and Vincent Hayes. Today we're joined by Mark Lauer, and he has his own solar company. He's a solar consultant. The name of his solar by Mark, and we're going to talk all things solar, definitely residential. We might get into a little commercial, but hey, Mark, how are you? Great, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for, for joining me. We, we met about maybe a year, a year and a half, or maybe longer when I was looking for solar. Yes. Yeah. And maybe, maybe two years ago. Two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and you were so helpful. Oh, thank you. Appreciate process. it. Yeah, yeah. Very knowledgeable. And so when I was going to, um, I had the idea to have an episode on so I definitely wanted to bring you on so you could share your knowledge and expertise with, with the listeners. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. I'm grateful. Yeah. So, so why don't we just start off with what are the top five reasons that someone might want to go solar? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh, you know, and, and really at the top of the list for nearly everybody is simply saving money over their standard utility rate. And the way to think about that is, is not what their utility bill is on any given month, um, but it's what do electricity costs um, add up to over years that they're living in the home. And so this is the, the longer term view of why solar is beneficial from a cost savings point of view, because you spend money for the solar, right? So either people are paying cash up front or they use a loan, for example, um, and so in, in the typical homeowner's application, if, if I look at what are they going to spend over six or seven years on electricity from the utility, well, normally they're going to spend about the same amount of money they would spend to buy solar. So after that point, they're saving money every month. They've eliminated their bill. And that's just one way to think of it. Now, this is going to vary by utility because there are municipalities that offer, um, a lot of savings compared to the big state utilities. Like, uh, for example, people live in the city of Santa Clara. Um, they have a really good electricity rate. I, I don't even try to sell in Santa Clara from a cost savings perspective because their rates are actually very good. They're, they're um, may, maybe you know one third of what PG&E in Northern California costs or, or even less. But saving money, absolutely big reason. Um, uh, another reason that people choose is to uh, save the environment and they are feeling a certain seriousness around their carbon emissions um, and greenhouse gases and the general warming of the planet and some of the things we see with that expressed in, in various research studies and, and the concerns people have. And so, you know, people are sincere in wanting to contribute to uh, an environmentally positive impact. Um, and that's a reason. And um, I would say another reason people choose to go solar is that, they simply want more energy independence and they want to be less reliant upon whoever their utility is um, to supply them a steady stream of power. And, and so if they have solar, then not only can they consume solar in the home while the power is being made from the solar system, if excess power is being made, they're actually sending that to the grid and they get a financial credit for the amount of power they send. Um, but helps people to have some measure of energy independence. Um, and uh, in fact, an important component of that independence, if I use that word, 
is, you know, the, maybe the question, well, then what happens if the grid goes down and there's a power outage? You know, does the solar keep working? Because that would be something a lot of people would think is, is the case. And yet it's not because um, the laws require that the solar system automatically shut down because if there's a power outage somewhere and the utility has utility workers somewhere on the lines trying to solve the outage, they, they can't also have people's homes electrifying the lines by sending power from their solar systems. Um, and so all those, all the solar automatically shuts down. And, and the way that doesn't happen, if somebody's going to be energy independent, is by also having a home battery system. And then what happens is the home essentially becomes its own little microgrid, if you will. And there's power being generated by the solar panels on the roof and that's sending power to the battery system and into the home. But the controlling mechanism of the energy system prevents power from being sent to the utility. So when people are wanting energy independence truly from their utility, usually that adds up to the consideration of, should I get a battery um, if, if I'm going to be able to be energy independent and if there's an outage so I can still have power? And particularly people who work from home, that's a concern or people who have medical equipment um, and they need that equipment to keep running. That, that's a concern. Um, some of the two biggest reasons. Um, and so energy independence, if I just go back to that answer, that, that you know, third on my list here, you asked me for five, and I think it's the third one I'm on. Um, so it, it's, it's uh, a kind of a, an empowering, confidence-building reality that you, know, you can continue to power your home apart from whether you're tied to the utility um, or not. Uh, another reason people go solar is um, they want to position their home for better energy expansion in the future. Um, there is a trend in uh, most of the states in our country of electrification of homes. In California, that's a big one. I mean, carbon-based power plants are shutting down um, and yet at the same time, the state is requiring new home construction to be electric. Um, and in many counties, all new home construction must be all electric. Well, where's all this power going to come from? Um, if we're reducing power output by natural gas power plants, for example, and yet requiring new home construction to be all electric. Well, solar panels on roofs is a very good source of where that power could come from. And, uh, so even for existing homes where they have natural gas um, already, people are adding more electric appliances versus gas burning appliances. And so the advantage of going solar is that it begins to enable someone to, to stage for their future electricity use. Um, so if they're going to be in the home for a while and they're imagining replacing a water heater, for example, with electric water heating for domestic hot water. Um, okay, they might think, uh, I, I probably need two or three more solar panels for something like that if they've already got an installation. Um, or, or they may design solar for that kind of thing. So sometimes people over-design the system. They might be producing um, 15% or 20% more power than they need, but they have a plan that within the year, they're going to convert some of their heating and water heating or their dryer or this kind of thing to all-electric. And so they're going to end up consuming that power. And um, the, the, the last reason I'll give you for going solar um, might be surprising uh, because it wasn't an issue at all um, just a few years ago. And that is increasing property value. 
And that is um, it, with the adoption of solar, uh, people have kind of less of an emotional um, kind of barrier to it. They have greater acceptance. And, and now when people see solar on a roof, um, particularly if the solar is a high quality system and it was installed really well and it doesn't look cheesy or something like that, you know, if this was done very well, uh, people can very quickly add up in their mind how much money they're saving every year. And so if it's a, if it's a standard suburban kind of home that a family of, of four or five people might be living in, it's very easy to think uh, that solar on my roof saves me $2,000 a year in five years time. They're saving, you know, $12,000 because rates keep, keep increasing every year. So if it's a 2000 times, whatever the year is, and then rate increases, you know, in five short years, they're, they're saving ten to $12,000. In 10 years, they're saving more than 20000 This is a real value to the home. Um, and they didn't have to go through this of evaluating contractors, choosing materials. It's just, it's already there. Um, and, and so like anything well done in a home, uh, it has value. So um, I, I, would, I would give that as my kind of five-point list for you. That's a great list. So I want to tackle a couple of those. A couple of those. Okay. Sure. So, so first of all is saving money, right? So if I go solar, would I expect my entire PG&E bill to be covered or a portion of it? So, so walk me through, how, how does that work? Yeah, that's a yeah, good question. Particularly for PG&E, if someone's getting electricity and natural gas, um, they're going to get their monthly bill and they're going to have an electric breakdown, they're going to have a gas breakdown. The natural gas bill doesn't change. This is one thing that's important for people to know is solar panels only deal with electricity. It doesn't deal with their natural gas use. So that bill is going to stay the same if they use power in the same way. On the electric side, the bill doesn't totally go away. And, and that is there are certain basic charges to simply stay connected to PG&E's grid. And right now under the current solar rates, that's about $10 a month. You know, it, it varies a little bit month by month by, by less than a dollar. So it, it averages out to around 10 bucks a month. Um, and so if a solar system is offsetting 100% of somebody's electricity use, uh, and when I, when I say that, I mean in a 12-month cycle, in one year, if essentially you're not going to have any charges for electricity use, that means your solar system is both providing power you used in the home and sent power to PG&E's grid for some financial credit. And so when you took power back at night, when the sun isn't shining and the solar is not working, right, you're, those, those cost power back are being offset by power that the homeowner sent earlier in the day from their own solar system. So even if you offset 100%, you still have that bill. You're still gonna, you're still gonna pay about $10 a month just to stay connected to the grid and there's little fees and charges built into that. But if a home, but if a home's solar system is designed well, um, and if it's, there's sufficient space on the roof and sufficient lighting to do it, you can largely offset the bill. Um, and what people will learn is that every, Every cycle as it ends, whenever their 12-month cycle starts, they're going to get what PG&E calls a true-up bill. Other utilities might call it something else, but it's some kind of annual reconciliation bill. And in that case, the utility is simply showing you in your bill, did you send more power to us? And if so, here's your credit. Um, or did you take more power from us than you sent to us? And if so, here, here's a charge for the difference of the extra power we sent to you. And so when systems are designed well, ideally, a credit's really small and a charge is really small. You know, I, I always tell my clients, it's actually better to owe the utility a little bit of money 
than to overbuy your solar. And so if, if the goal is to simply meet your need, let's owe the utility, you know, 30 or $40 at the end of a year. It's not so bad. I mean, my, my own personal bill last year when I got my 12 month true up bill from PG&E is I, I owe PG&E for one year of power, seven cents. Wow. That's pretty so, good. Yeah. I think I nailed my system size, you know, so <laughs> I was pretty happy with that. Um, and, you know, so, you know, owing them a little bit of money is fine. Getting a little bit of a credit is fine. What I don't want my clients having is like a $500 credit on their bill. It's just, that means they overbought the solar. And um, for the amount of credit they get, PG&E would have happily charged them much more if they use the power. And, and so this is part of the reason for sizing a system appropriately and trying to evaluate someone's power use. So that's what billing would look like from PG&E though. Yeah. You're still going to have your natural gas bill and you're going to have some electric charges that stay connected to the grid. And then if the system doesn't offset all of your power use, you're going to have your energy charge on top of that, that basic cost every month. Like, like me, I, I mean, I owed them a whopping seven cents, you know, for, for years because I, I didn't quite cover all my costs, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there you go. <laughs> so let's talk about energy independence for a second, because that sure. was kind of one of the things that hit home for me when I first started researching solar. That's when yeah. we were getting hit by all the um, PG, what do they call them? Public safety power shutoffs, the PSPS days. Correct. And it just felt like those were coming fast and furious. I'm like, I've had enough of this. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It's uh, when you get enough of them, especially like for anyone living in transmission corridors or, and, and it seems to happen more in the hills yes. um, and your home is up in the hill a little bit and your power tends to be shut off more and you get those PSPS event notifications and you think, mm -hmm. great, I'm going to lose my power for eight hours or 12 hours. You know, sometimes it's up to two days um, right. and they may turn it on sooner, but you're getting the warning of how long it's going to be off. Um, yeah. And so the PSPS PS events are, are very real and a lot of people have to plan around those. Yeah. And so talk about how the battery comes into, into play there. So I have my solar because yeah. you're right. I think you started to talk about this. Like people have solar and they think, well, that's all I need. I'll always have power, Correct. but, but you're right. You know, pg &E shuts off all the lines. So to have the independence, you really need a battery. How does that work? Yeah. So how the battery works is, is that uh, when the, grid is not in an outage and the grid is working normally. You've got power coming to the house from the grid. You've got power coming to the house from your solar system. And the solar system is feeding power, not just into the house, but into the battery system and charging it. So you're charging the batteries primarily from the solar and that's how they're designed to work. So now a grid outage happens, let's say, and it's a PSPS event um, that the utility intentionally shuts off power as a safety measure. So the house continues to have power because the uh, control mechanisms for the energy system, which is solar and battery together, it prevents power from going to the grid. So you're meeting that code requirement by law. And, and now the home, depending on the system you've installed, the home can use power from both the solar panels and the battery system at the same time. So you've got two power sources feeding power to the home to support the electricity demand in the home. Other systems don't work in that way. When the grid goes down, only the battery provides power to the home. And sometimes the battery is only backing up a handful of circuits. It might be three or five or seven. Some battery systems might back up 12 circuits. 
And the job of the solar panels in that case is only to feed power to the battery and keep it charged. But in the case of an outage, all the power going into the home is only coming from the battery. And there are some systems that work in that way. Um, and, and so the, th- this is not quite literally the only way to have power, but it's the most common way for most homeowners only to have power when the grid goes down, but they still have power either, either to certain circuits in the house, not everything, but certain circuits like the refrigerator, let's say, and other plugs in the kitchen. So maybe you've got your fridge and your microwave. Um, and other people have a priority of wanting a backup freezer in the garage is another common one. They, they want that backed up. Then some common lights and plugs, some low power items. Most, most of the plugs in a room, most of the lights don't actually take all that much power. And so we put a couple of circuits of those on and back up. And, and so in backup mode, the way this would work is ideally you could actually go day to day to day. If you carefully use your power, let's say, let's say the grid is shut down for four days. And this happens to clients of mine up in the mountains. Um, well, if there is sufficient sunlight, let's say there's not a storm in winter or there's not really big firestorms nearby, so there's not a lot of smoke and particulate in the air, if there's sufficient sunlight, the solar system is going to make power and charge the battery, and you're going to be able to use power from the solar and the battery both during the day. And ideally, what you do is program your battery to be fully charged at the end of the day so that then you get through the night on the battery, sun comes up the next day, the solar panels start making power as soon as dawn hits and they, they'll peak at different times of the day, depending on their angle to the sun. But usually by the late morning, the battery system is fully charged again. And now you've got a, a battery and you still got solar going and you can use both in the day and you have the battery fully charged again before the end of the day to make it through another night. So with some self-discipline about how you use power in the home, you could, you could actually get by fairly well on just your solar and your battery. Um, now, now, the only exception to the, to the needing of a battery, um, there, there is one particular company that's actually re- released a new system, and it's permitted, and they've got approvals for this. Um, and they're able to disconnect the solar system from backfeeding power to the grid without a battery. But it, the power to the home is purely dependent on the lighting condition. Um, and, and so you get as much power as the system's making and they recommend backing up no more than four circuits, you know, and they're usually low power common circuits. And, um, it's, it's a beginning. This is a, a, a first step in the idea of having some power backup without a battery. It just comes with a lot of limitations, you know, and that is you've got to have clear skies. You've got to be making power. Um, if it's a rainy day, you're out of luck, um, and uh, if there's a lot of smoke in the air, you're out of luck. It's not going to make much power. But but it's the first step in the idea that maybe you can have some backup power from your solar without the battery. Um, I think for most people, they would find it comes with a lot of limitations, which is what they don't want. If they're going to invest in a battery system, they want the confidence and security of how their power is going to work in their home. Not Not wonder, you know, is my fridge going to stay on if it's sunny enough? Or if it's not sunny, does my fridge go off? You know, things like that. <laughs> They, they, they want to know. So, Mark, you talked about one big consideration that people have in going solar is saving money. Talk a little bit about the tax incentives, because I know they've kind of been all over the place lately. They were they were at one level, then they came down. They were scheduled to go down again, but then they didn't. But I think now they're scheduled to go down again. 
Just that's correct. So the uh, tax incentives um, are in our state of California. The only real tax incentive is the federal tax incentive credit, mm-hmm. and um, that was extended into this year to remain at 26% of a tax credit. Now, what, what does that mean? It means 26% of the project cost, the federal government is going to pay for in the form of a tax credit. The most important thing people need to remember about this is you have to be a taxpayer to get a tax credit. For some folks who have no taxes due at the end of the year because of whatever their income means are, if they're really not paying taxes, they can't make use of a tax credit. Mm-hmm. So lots of folks think, oh, the government's just going to send me a check. And that doesn't work that way. The tax credit offsets any taxes due by the homeowner. So let's say, Anthony, when you were thinking of you know, buying a system for your home. So l- l- let me just use an example and say, oh, okay, you buy a system and your system came with an $8,000 tax credit. Let's just say that was 26% of the cost of your project investment. And so you file your taxes in the next year and the government says, hey, you know, great, you made some money and everybody's well and you owe us $8,000 in taxes. Um, and you say, oh, no, I don't because I bought an energy system and I am using my federal tax incentive and my tax credit is $8,000. So now I owe you nothing. Mm. Now that's how a tax credit works. So now if you paid your taxes in advance, however, and you filed your return and you owed the federal government only $1,000 in taxes after filing your return. Well, then in that case, they would say, okay, you don't owe us the thousand. We're going to knock that down to zero because you have this federal incentive tax credit. We want people to invest in renewable energy. That's why it's an incentive tax credit. And now we're going to send you $7,000 back because we, the federal government, through this tax incentive credit, really are paying for 26% of the cost of this system. They just idealize it in the way that they're, they're saving you tax money you send to them. So you use that tax money and spend it on the energy system, right? So, um, but this is, this is how it works. You've got to be a taxpayer and then you get that credit. For some people, they can't take the full credit in one year. They may have to roll over some of the credit to the next year. It really depends on their taxes due. Um, but if you paid a sufficient level of taxes in the previous year, then you get all that credit in one year. Now, what's changing in the tax incentive credit? It is scheduled in 2023 to drop from 26% down to 22%. And so this, the government's basically saying we're going to pay for a little less of this system. And then it's scheduled the next year to go away entirely, except for commercial um, solar investments. That's going to drop to 10% and stay there. Now, could the laws change? They could. You know, they, this is simply up to the Congress. They, they uh, Under the Trump administration, the Congress and the Trump administration agreed to extend the tax credits. So this is why the 26% was still in effect um, from 2021, 2022. um, And the tax incentive didn't disappear. So the Congress can choose to do this again with the current administration in the same way, if they so wish. Um, But that's what the schedule is. So really the incentive for folks now, if they're thinking seriously of making the solar energy investment is, is do it now. Do it when the government's helping you pay for more of it. So, Mark, what should I look for if I'm trying to pick a solar system, right? Like, which, what should I start when I start calling vendors? What should I be paying attention to um, to find a good vendor? Yeah, good question again. Um, 
you know, my, my short list on that one is, you know, look for quality products, experienced personnel, strong warranties. And I would add, you know, a, a local contractor. Um, so the, the, and if I, I'll stop on the last point because it's not uncommon for lower cost areas of business and, and, uh, products and, and personnel to sort of shift over to higher costs. And, and so, you know, we've seen that over the years where, you know, companies are sending crews from Southern California or Southern Nevada up into the Bay area, you know, to sell solar and they're offering better prices and they can kind of sweep through a neighborhood and offer all these great deals. But, you know, if you have a problem a year later, you know, are they still there doing business? And a lot of times they're not. So I would go back to the idea that if you can pick a regional or a local contractor that's got a strong local reputation, they've been in business for a while, that's a good start. For a lot of people, they may not be sure how do they investigate what a quality product is. Well, they can do an online search and uh, something like, you know, what are the best rated solar panels? You know, they can just look that up and they're going to be able to read a bit about that. Um, Basically, the breakdown in quality products is there's, there's usually premium products that those companies put a lot of engineering into um, and they're very efficient. They're very effective. They continue to produce more power over time than say an average level product. Um, and you get a premium brand, you get mid range brands, you get low end cheap stuff. Um, it's not uncommon to other things in life. Right. And, and so um, if somebody's going to be in their home a long time, you know, I, I would really encourage them to buy a quality product, buy one that's going to perform well it's going to last a long time. They're probably not going to need any service um, because it's well-made to begin with. And if they are hiring experienced contractors, they're going to make fewer errors putting the system together to begin with as well. So, I mean, ideally you install this system in your home and never have an issue and no one ever has to come back. But if you, if you do have a service requirement, it's nice for someone to be closer by and it's a local phone call. Now that makes total sense. So how long should someone expect this process to take? You know, so if a consumer calls you and they, you know, you come out and you give them a quote and they maybe get some other quotes, um, you know, kind of how long is a reasonable expectation that the process would take from sort of research to installation? Yeah, the, the, I think for most folks, they find they're somewhere between uh, three months and five months. Mm-hmm. If they know they want to do it, yeah, they kind of knock out their research phase in the first month to two. And, and now they feel like they've got an understanding. Um, they, they start to collect quotes in that second month and in, into the third month. And, and if, they're, if they're ready to go and they're, they're going to make a decision, the typical contractor usually needs um, anywhere from six weeks to 10 weeks. So call it eight weeks. So a two-month phase of, from when an order is placed to engineering being done, permit submission, getting a permit, buying materials and installing, interconnecting with the utility, doing the inspections, all the stuff that a contractor will do. So, so uh, now there can be contractors that can perform much faster. Um, sometimes people make up their minds much faster. And I've had clients I've dealt with for two years. Um, they, they've been very, very slow in their research phase. They've had lots of things going on in life and it just wasn't a super high priority um, and so they weren't pushing hard to get it done. But I would say very commonly people should give themselves more of that three months to five months. If, if they're just starting out and they haven't really been evaluating it before, and they're the kind of person that wants to understand, 
and they, they, they want to feel like they've done their homework, then it takes a little longer. Um, it, so the, the issue influencing this right now is supply chain logistics and product shortages. Um, it, it's heightened right now. Um, it's, it really began last summer, but it's, it's still in that way. So something for some of the, I represent, and I, I represent four different sun power contractors and uh, I represent the fastest growing multi-state contractor named power. And it's spelled oddly. People think it would be spelled normally, but power ends with U R instead of E R um, great company, fast growing um, offers lots of great service and great products. Um, and, and so depending on what they can get, I mean, these companies could have done something in uh, three weeks or four weeks in the past sometimes even in one week or two weeks if they had materials and stock permits quickly. And sometimes it's, it's taking 11 or 12 weeks because they're just waiting for product. Sometimes it's more. So um, depending on what the client is going to order, um, this, the lead time right now is a, a little harder to predict, but I would still kind of go with setting an expectation. Once a contract signed, probably about eight weeks on average for the average contractor right now. And should... I expect as a consumer for the contractor to handle all the permitting with the city and PG&E and all that stuff, or do I have to do that myself? You should expect a contractor to do that if they're uh, a general contractor or have a specific solar contractor's license. Um, They handle all of the expertise from beginning to end around engineering and permits, inspections, materials acquisition, schedules. Yeah, you. it's, it's all on them. Okay. And, and is it important for the contractor to have like a solar contracting license? Because sometimes you see contractors have HVAC or electrical engineering, you know, is that solar designation, is that important? Uh, it has some value, but, you know, frankly, there's a lot of contractors that were licensed as general contractors, even though yeah. they specialize in solar. And it's because they did that before the solar designation even came out from the state. Uh, yeah. you, you know, so there's both realities at play there that you could have a general contractor who, who's got a, like a B license and, yeah. uh, and they're perfectly experienced in solar and they just, they just never migrated over to having a specific solar contractor's license. Got it. So general contractor is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. All right. So Mark, are you getting more interest in solar now because people are working from home? Oh yeah. It's an interesting uh, offshoot of that COVID reality. That is as people all started working from home, uh, their power bills went up, um, Mm -hmm. particularly if they had kids and the kids aren't off to school and they're working from home. um, Lights are on dishwashers running more. uh, Lots of folks are finding that they're running their dishwasher twice a day. Um, They used to run it every other day, you know, whatever, something like that. And um, so there's both the reality of power use having gone up and the reality of working from home and people want to stay empowered. If they're in the middle of a meeting like you and I now, you know, and we're both say working from home offices, uh, if the power to suddenly go out, well, we could keep on working. If we had solar and a battery system, it would in a split second, you know, kick on. We wouldn't even have a glitch on our screens. Hey, Mark, this has been fantastic. I so appreciate this. There's uh, so, you. so many nuggets here. So how can the listeners find you if they found something you're interesting and they're like, hey, I, I want to call Mark. I need to get a quote from Mark for solar. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy for them to do that. So um, they could shoot me an email, number one, at mark at solarbymark.com. And uh, 
I, I also have a, um, I, I don't have my own website specifically that might strike people as odd, but as somebody who's a contractor's representative, what I, what I do with my contractors is I use their portals. Um, and so, uh, so in that way, then somebody could find me by looking me up on power. For example, if they went to P O W U R power.com slash forward slash Mark dot Lauer, and they'll find me there. And, um, they can also call me, um, if they want, uh, I'll give my office number that rings to my cell phone is 408-915-5334. And, uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn, uh, using solar by Mark and, and find me there as well. Uh, most of my specialty has been around representing the contractors themselves, um, as opposed to sort of sale, selling at the retail level. So I don't have a ton of social media stuff going on. Um, but those are all, those are great ways for people to find me. Mark at solar by mark.com 408-915-5334 or look me up, uh, uh, power.com forward slash mark dot lauer or linkedin.com forward slash solar by mark that's great and i'll put the links to those in the show notes oh, for, for the episode it. yeah no absolutely um but if you could just you know talk a little bit about how you work with customers because because you're like a independent consultant or broker right like you don't represent yeah. one company yeah i am and so um in some ways people might you know, relate to it most easily thinking of say, someone who's an insurance broker, you know, and they're, they're looking for a new policy and the insurance broker is able to um, ha- pair a client with the insurance company they think is going to suit them best and offer the best plan for them. And that's what I'm doing with solar. So uh, with regard to representing SunPower contractors, I kind of think regionally with them, number one, because I represented contractors in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay area as well as the South Bay, all the way down to the Monterey Peninsula. And so depending on the, and I'm, I'm going to pair them with the best suited contractor. Um, if I'm selling out of state or elsewhere in California, I can do the same with, with either SunPower or with Power. Uh, and so how I work with a client is, you know, I want to get to know what they hope for. You know, sometimes I'll ask people, well, how do you want to use your power? And people are sometimes surprised by that question. Um, and, and I know that they want to save money, um, but sometimes people actually have plans to expand their power use. They want to add an electric vehicle that they're going to charge at home. They want to buy a spa and they don't want to see their power bill shoot up like crazy. Um, and so what I do is help them plan for the amount of power they need to make and to offset their bill. And the other thing I help them understand too, is not every roof is ideal for solar power generation. Uh, it might seem uh, odd to think of it, but you know, o- oftentimes people who live in wooded areas, you know, want solar. And you think there's there's trees all over your property casting shade over your roof. This is going to be a really challenging situation. And I have to help people understand just because it's sunny on their roof for a good couple hours a day when they like to go out on their deck or you know go out front in their yard or their backyard or something like that. It doesn't mean it's good for solar generation. Um, so when I think of solar power generation, I think of sunrise to sunset every day of the year. How much power am I going to make? And so I, I help a client understand what are really the concerns of, of power generation, what roofs would work well. We'll address issues even their roof age or the roof type. Is it, is it suited for solar? What would need to be done to in, install on their roof? Um, and I, I, I walk them through the process. So as a consultant in that sense, 
I'm trying to help kind of encourage people's forward progress, uh, help them find the questions they want to ask, um, and then ask them questions I know I should. And, and hopefully along the way, they feel like the, it's been very informative and they've had a lot of support and they feel like they're making a good decision, which is what I truly want for them. I want people to make a good decision about how they're using their power and how they're going to spend their money on energy systems. And so uh, I, I walk with them through the whole process. Even after we've got a contract in place and there's a contractor lined up to come, I'm still their point person. They're going to, they're going to call um, even as operations stuff has begun to happen. That's fantastic, Mark. Hey, I so appreciate you spending some time with me today. Uh, you're welcome, Anthony. It's my pleasure. And thanks for inviting me. Uh, great to see you again and great to talk with you again. And uh, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Town Roots Podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the hosts, head over to www.townroots.com.